beautiful. Thank you so much. Beautiful. It's been a, a fitting song for both this morning and evening services. I'd like to bring greetings from our, our bishops, our overseers. They are, as usual, out and about doing what God has called them to do. So let's just extend our, our hands towards the cross, and we're just going to pray over them. Father, we thank you for our bishops. We thank you, Father, that they, they have a heart to follow hard after you. Through trials, through tribulations, through the ups and downs of life, Father, that they are consistent in their devotion to you. And Father, we thank you that they set us an example to follow. So Father, we thank you that even as they are about this evening, about your business, we thank you, Father, that signs and wonders follow them. We thank you, Father, that your will is done in and through their lives and in and through their ministry. Father, that signs and wonders follow them. And Lord, when they are done this evening, they will look at each other and they will say, it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. So, Father, thank you for your hand upon them. Thank you for prospering them in health, in spirit, in soul, in body, in their finances. Father, thank you, Lord, that you continue to give them the strength to do that which you call them to do. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Already. Ready. During a practical exercise at a military police base, the instructor was giving the class and um, the, the instructor was giving class on unarmed self-defense. After presenting a number of different situations that they might find themselves in, he asked a student, "What steps would you take if someone were coming after you with a big, sharp knife?" The student replied, "Big ones." That's what I'd be doing. I'd be taking big steps going the other way. <laughs> you know, this morning we, we looked at God's providence and how his overarching hand is upon our lives and, and how he knows all the details of everything that we're going through. And he molds and melds everything together. Uh, the good things that we do, the mistakes that we make, the times when we run out into, into Moab and the world and the times when we're back into Israel and, and into God's kingdom and how he molds all of those things together. But tonight we're going to take a deeper look at, at Jesus. And the title of the message is Jesus Understands. And so we're going to start off with the verses uh, found in Matthew 6. 28 to 33. So Matthew 6, 28 to 33, if you can put that up on the screen or follow along with your Bibles. And it says, And why do you worry about the, your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Do they, not lab, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not more, much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I just want to stop there for a second. You know, I think that statement, O ye of little faith, we can all identify with. Amen? Times we've been there, we've done that, but the overarching ride of God's hand is there despite how much faith we have. 
goes on to say, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I'm sure you've read those verses many times, Amen. And you got to ask yourself, well, what do they really tell you? One of the things that they tell you is that God knows and cares about us in intimate details. He cares about our lives right down to the very fact of what we eat and what we wear and and the the houses that we live in and on and on and on. And and I'm sure you can look and say, well, I believe those verses to be true. Amen? But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever doubted that God really knows and cares about you? That thought ever crossed your mind? Thank you, Dr. Scott. I'm sure we can all say yes, that that truly has crossed our mind at some point, right? So it's one thing for God to say in his word that he cares about us. But how does he prove it to us? Everyone experiences problems in life. And no matter how super spiritual we may act, the truth is that it rains on the just and the unjust. Amen? So we all go through difficult times. And Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. So what do we learn from this verse? We learn that Jesus understands our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, our sorrows, the pain, the heartache that we go through, and we're able to bring these to him. But how do we know that for sure? How do we really know that that's true? So we're going to look at the role of the high priest to better understand the life of Jesus and how he can truly identify and care for each one of us. Amen. You know, in the Old Testament... The word infirmity is connected with sacrifices and offerings. You see it used uh, hand in hand with that regularly. And an infirmity was primarily a physical mark. Say physical. Physical. So it was an imperfection. It was a defect or it was a deformity either in a man, a human being, or in an animal. So if a man had an infirmity, even if he was part of the priesthood, he was disqualified from Mm -hmm. offering sacrifices because he could not have a defect and enter into the holiness and the presence of God. Amen? The Old Testament names 142 specific defects or blemishes that are unacceptable in the priesthood and unacceptable in the presence of God. Amen? So many were disqualified in their role. The New Testament really doesn't address physical defects, but instead it disqualifies spiritual conditions. Say spiritual. Spiritual. So Old Testament's physical, New Testament is spiritual. So both the offering itself and the one giving the offering had to be free from any type of infirmity. Amen? Animals that were sick, that had a spot on them, a discoloration on them, any part of uh, their body that was malformed were unacceptable. And the priests would deny it, and God would deny it and not honor it. So the animal had to be perfect, and the individual had to be perfect. 
In the New Testament, we begin to see a figurative use of the word infirmity. It's more mm -hmm. like a metaphor when mm -hmm. it's used. And the common New Testament word for infirmity is the word steno. Say steno. Steno. And it's a negative form of steno. So steno means strength, but we know that anytime we take a root word and we put an A in front of it, it negates the root meaning, right? Mm -hmm. So a theist is somebody who believes in God. If I put an A in front of it, I get what? Atheist. Atheist, which is somebody who does not believe in God. Absolutely. And so the word steno, when you negate it, is called asthenia, and that is a lack of strength or a weakness, an infirmity or a crippling. So the word infirmities is hardly ever used in the New Testament in a purely physical sense, mm -hmm. but rather it refers to mental, moral, and emotional weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Very different interpretation. Mm -hmm. So infirmities in themselves aren't sin, but they do undermine our resistance to temptation. They make us less able to stand firmly in what we know is the truth, and they make us more vulnerable to falling into sin and temptations. Mm -hmm. Amen? So infirmities are qualities in the human nature that predispose us or incline us to falling, sometimes without even a conscious choice on our fault. Uh, so in other words, it's not an awareness I have where I'm making a poor decision, but it just kind of happens because of these little deficits that I have in my makeup. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. How many of you have found yourself on the other side of an argument and then you realized it was your fault? Mm. Mm -hmm. And you thought, there's that thing again that drove me to react and respond this way, and that's an infirmity. That's something in the moral, mental, emotional makeup that's unhealed, and so it drives me into sinful situations, not on purpose. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So they sabotage our happiness, our relationships, and many times they keep us from taking ownership or responsibility for our lives and the things we do. You know, it's difficult to be around people that blame all the time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because you can't confront them, and you don't see any growth because they refuse to take personal ownership for the things that they're responsible for. And so that's an example of one of these attitudes or feelings or behaviors that kind of expose us and our infirmities. That's where we see them, is in our relationships and in our emotional responses. Perfectionism is a good example. If I walk in perfectionism, it's really rooted in fear. It's a fear of failure that causes me to be bound in perfectionism. And it prevents me from settling for anything less then perfect, right? But God says in scripture, my grace is sufficient and my power is made strong in your weakness. I know you have weaknesses and so does everybody else mm -hmm. on the earth, <laughs> amen? We all do, accept them and look for me to help you overcome them. Don't try to do it in yourself and don't try to put perfectionism on other people and be demanding that way. Indecisiveness is another example. That's just when we have a hard time making a decision. We can't say yes, we can't say no. But what does it say in scripture, right? It says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And it says, this day choose whom you're going to serve. Stand firm when that word of God is under attack in you. Indecisiveness really caused Lot's wife some grief, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, turned to a pillar of salt. Blaming is that inability to take responsibility for your own thoughts and for your own actions. That's simple. We always point the finger. We always put it on somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault, right? But scripture says he who confesses and owns up 
to their mistake receives mercy. Mm -hmm. And as beautiful in the praise song that we sang this evening, where it said, I can approach your throne boldly because I know there's mercy there for me. So God says, you don't have to point the finger. You can say, hey, I made a mistake because my mercy's right there for you. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So in the Old Testament, we have these priests that were perfect in their physical bodies, but they struggled with the same infirmities as everybody else. The same hang-ups, the same uh, emotional conflicts, uh, you know, perfectionism, uh, low self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because they were human, right? They were just human people and human people, that sounds really good. They were just human <laughs> and they represented humanity. They represented the nation that was full of what? People with the same infirmities they had. So in the, the book of Hebrews, we see a, a parallel to the book of Leviticus, and the two books are tied closer than any other in the New Testament, and they show the sacrificial system as outlined in Leviticus that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, our high priest. <clears throat> so this fulfillment applies to the matter of infirmities for all priests. You've got to understand this now. The Old Testament priests, as I said, they had these infirmities, their, their mental, their moral, their emotional weaknesses, because they shared in what is common to humanity. And therefore, when they made their sacrifices, they could identify. So they not only sacrificed on behalf of the people, they sacrificed on, the, on behalf of themselves. Right? Why? Because they could identify. So it's just like me and Pastor Trish. Yeah, we're pastors here. We stand up in the pulpit. We present the word to you. But we, were, we live the same lives you do. We go through the same struggles you do. So we can identify with where you're at. You can identify with where we're at. Amen? <clears throat> Hebrews 5, 1 to 3 tells us that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently. That's a key word there. He is able to deal gently <coughs> with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. What is that telling us? The Old Testament priests, even though they were in that position of representing God and going before God, they could be led astray. That they, they struggled at times in their, their spiritual and their devotional lives. Okay? Just like we do at times. Just like Bishop does at times. That's why nobody can ever stand in a pulpit and look down on the audience that they're, they're teaching, they're preaching to. Because when that happens, I'll guarantee you judgment comes on those individuals' lives. I, you know, I, was, I was thinking about this sermon, and uh, um, I know two, three years back, I, I was going into work one day. And, you know, as my habit, I was talking to God, and uh, <laughs> I was saying to God, you know, well, I'm not such a bad guy after all. You know, I... You know, I do this and this and this happens and, and I show this about you and I represent. And immediately, immediately, he flashes me back. Well, what about this situation? 
What about when you, when you lied here, when you cover up here? When, and all of a sudden, he starts showing me all of these, these things, right, that, that, uh, that, that I have done. And he said, Simon, don't ever forget. It's my grace that's sufficient. It's my grace that covers over your weaknesses. Amen? So going back to this verse, every high priest is selected from among the people because he can identify with his people. And when you think about it, that's why bishops are in the position they're in. That's why Dr. Tom is in the position that he, he's in. I'll guarantee you that people who are in full-time pastorate, if you ask them, would they do anything else? Most of them would say yes. <laughs> because they have to deal with the infirmities of people day in, day out. Not to mention their own. But they also tell you that they couldn't run away even, even if they tried. I was talking to a pastor just this, this past week. And, and he was telling me, he said, you know, before I, got in, uh, before I became a pastor... He said, I ran from God for eight years. He said, I did everything possible and then some to get away from this calling. He says, I won't even tell you the ugly things that I did. He says, but finally I had to come to that place where this was God's calling on my life and I have to accept it. And he told me, he says, you know what? He says, every Monday morning I want to quit. He says, when, when I go through Sunday and when I get done through a week of, of counseling people and working with people, he says, I want to throw in the towel every single week. And then he says, I look back at my own life and he thinks, I did this and this and this. He says, I'm not even qualified to be in a pastoral ship. But God, but God's grace. And so that's why pastors can gently deal with their congregation because there's this identification. So they own, in the Old Testament, they offered up sacrifices for their own sins as well as the sins of their people. So the writer of Hebrews is applying this picture to our great high priest and mediator, Jesus Christ. Jesus never sinned, amen? <clears throat> he never yielded to the temptation. But he was tempted in all points just as we are. Okay? <clears throat> but because he had this sinless perfection, he never had to make the sacrifice on behalf of himself, but just on our behalf. So he was tested at every point. He went through them without falling like we do. So catch this, people. Every infirmity. Mental, emotional weakness that we have, Jesus suffered with. Jesus felt the feelings that we feel, yet never gave into them. Okay? And that's why he can identify. If he, if he merely understood the fact of our infirmities, that would be good enough. But the truth is, he experienced every feeling that we have felt. Every crippling emotion, every weakness, every emotional hang-up, every inner conflict that we enter into, and the pain that is attached to them, he has felt them. And that is why he can identify with our frustrations, with our anxieties, with the depression, the hurt, the abandonment, the loneliness, the isolation, rejection that we feel, he has been there. He has been touched with those feelings, yet never yielded to them. 
And so he made the ultimate sacrifice of himself on our behalf. Amen. So let's look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. It says, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Mm. He didn't automatically have that. He learned it through the suffering. So this points to Gethsemane, amen, to the passion, to the suffering, to the cross, as if to say, here, look, he's experienced all of it. He knows what it is to sob, to cry out to God. He knows what it is to travail. He wrestled with feelings that nearly tore him to pieces. He knows because he's been through it, and he can feel with you. So it's not just about uh, the experience, but it's about the feelings that go with the infirmity and the trial and the tribulation. God hurts with us. You know, I saw this uh, uh, created in a picture form while I was ministering inner healing one time to uh, a gentleman. And there was a situation that was uh, just tragic that he had dealt with as a very young boy. And he had such a hard time understanding how God could have allowed it to happen. And he struggled with mm -hmm. forgiving God for not doing something since God was really the only person that could have done something. Mm -hmm. And he needed that revelation of God's intervention and the fact that people are people and God's not responsible for people's behavior, amen? So when we invited Jesus into this very tender, uh, just uh, you know, traumatic memory, he sees Jesus appear and Jesus is weeping over what's happening to him. And I thought it was so beautiful that he said, Jesus is feeling the hurt. He is so upset on my behalf that this innocent little boy is being abused. It's breaking his heart. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so beautiful and touching. And he began to weep. And all of a sudden, he went over to Jesus. And there was this magnificent connection. And then he understood. He knows exactly what I went through. He was there. He didn't approve of it. It broke his heart. And it was just precious. And I always remembered that because I thought it was an awesome illustration of just how Jesus totally understands and knows. He is not just lofty up there in the clouds in heaven sitting on a throne. Mm -hmm. He knows our feelings intimately. Amen? Amen? Of all the words for incarnation, the greatest one is Emmanuel. God is with us. Mm -hmm. God's with us. That doesn't just mean he walks alongside. It means he's in it with us. Isn't that something? He's in it with us. We're never alone going through anything. He's experiencing it with us. Better still, God, having gone through it himself, knows how to be in it, and he feels it with us. And that's why we can come boldly before his throne and near with confidence. So we're coming to a heavenly father who understands our feelings, but beyond that, he invites us to share our feelings with him. And I think that sometimes it's hard for us to do that in our prayer time. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are still trying to earn God's love, and so we want to get everything fixed, and then we'll pray and do our spiritual warfare and our proclamations and petition the heavenlies and spiritual warfare. And, and instead, God says, I already know how you feel, and I feel it mm -hmm. in you and with you. So talk to me about it. Tell me, he says, about the fear the guilt, how overwhelmed you feel, the frustration, the anger, the jealousy. Tell me about it, because I know. He says, I know. So go ahead and share it with me, because I can really relate to you and bring a comfort like nobody else can. 
And we know that we always get that mercy and grace from God when we're in need. Amen? So we can come to him when we need forgiveness, uh, when we've fallen into sin, and we can come to him when we're being tormented. Amen? By the feelings of our infirmities. God, there's this deficit. This is area I can't get the victory in. There's this struggle I continually face. I'm not being treated right. I'm not treating other people right. And God, I'm being tormented. The enemy's just cackling in my ear all day long about what a failure I am. But God, you're right in this with me, and you know how this feels because you feel it with me. So I need to talk to you about it. It's precious, isn't it? Mark 26, I'm sorry, Matthew 26, 37 through 38 says, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. So Jesus says, my mind, my will, my emotions are so soaked in sorrow that I feel like I'm looking death in the face and I'm going to die. I've got nothing in me to fight against this. It's really beautiful if you look at the message in Amplified Bibles. They say the sorrow is crushing the life out of me. It says he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, my soul is so sad and deeply grieved that I am dying of sorrow. That is heavy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And in Jesus telling us that he experienced such feelings and such emotions and pain, and he says, I didn't even know where to turn. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what to do to help myself. It's so bad. So it makes me think, God, do you understand that when I'm so depressed, I really don't even want to live anymore? You're telling me you know what that feels like? And Jesus says, oh, yeah. Absolutely, I know what that feels like. And that's pretty powerful, isn't it? You know, when Dr. Simon said that Jesus experienced everything that we experienced on the cross, I remember when I was young and I was struggling with anxiety and panic attacks. And I saw that in scripture and I thought, God had a panic attack on the cross. Mm. He struggled with depression on the cross, mm-hmm. right? If, if he truly took everything on him, then he felt all of it. He felt murder, he felt regret, he felt rage, he felt overwhelmed. He felt every possible human emotion, and it was on him, and he was in it. Mm -hmm. And I took such comfort in that, that, God, I'm not praying about something that's sinful because you think we shouldn't struggle with anxiety because it goes against your word. He goes, no, I know exactly what that's like. I know what that level of fear is like. I know what it's like to feel like you can't gather your thoughts. He knew because he experienced it. And that's so touching and so powerful. And I just thank God that he can really, truly relate and invites us to just share with him exactly what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So if you've battled loneliness and extreme depression, if you've gone through those, you know, those blackouts of depression, when you're in the, the pits of life, you know that the hardest thing to do is what? Pray, right? You just, where do you conjure up the words from? You don't feel God's presence. And he's telling us through his words, through what Jesus experienced, he says, I have been there. I know exactly what that feels like. That's his assurance to us of walking through on humanity. You know, when you think about When you think about the garden all the way through the cross and everything that Jesus experienced in between on a physical level, he did it in his humanity. 
You know, on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just shortest person. He could have called 10,000 angels down, right? He could have come off that cross and like they all said and proved that he was quote unquote the son of God and he could have done all of that stuff. But what if he would have done any of that? It would have been in his divinity. And when he hung on the cross, he did it in his humanity. And all he could cry out was, why have you left me? Why have you left me? And we have all been there at some point. And the whole point is, so has Jesus. And he doesn't hold any of that against us. He felt it, he feels it, and his assurance is that he walks through our valleys of the shadow of death. He walks through those, those death valleys with us. He's right there with us. <clears throat> If you follow Jesus into his trial, you listen to the false testimony that came against him. Have you ever been falsely accused? We've all been there, right? You know the pain. Matthew 26, 67 says they spit in his face and they beat him. Others slapped him. Luke 22, 63 says the men were holding on to Jesus and they started mocking him and beating him. You know, as Christians, we go through these times of, of depression or rage or anger or pain, and we, we try to cover it up. We, we, we put on our spiritual masks. And I'm not saying we should walk around and, you know, tell everybody, oh, look at what I'm wallowing is and just, you know, be spurting everything that's in our hearts over everybody else. You've got to be careful who you talk to, Okay. But the fact is that we walk through oftentimes as Christians and we put on these, these false bravados when Jesus never did. Think about that. Jesus never did. When we take people through inner healing, we often ask them, you know, tell me, you're experiencing feeling, what memory is attached to that? Tell me about the feelings and the pain that is attached to that. You know, I remember one time going through some inner healing and I was about five or six years old and uh, surrounded by my little friends and my mom came down and, you know, she says, get upstairs. So we lived in these, we call them flats, they're apartments in England. Get upstairs to, to our flat. And I saw mom and she whacked me right across the face. And I looked at all my friends and, you know, they were all, but I felt so humiliated. You know, that, that physical attack, slap across the face, punch in the head. I don't know if you've ever experienced that from, from your parents or a teacher or somebody in authority. But man, that's humiliating. Amen? Jesus felt that humiliation. He went through those things. They destroy our basic human nature. That's where the physical, the physicalness of that, yeah, it hurts on your face, but it goes down to who you are as, a, as an individual. And Jesus is our wounded healer, and he understands what it means to be struck on the head, slapped in the face. He's experienced, as we say, over and over and over, and touched with our infirmities so that he can walk us through them. You ever walked up to a little child who was hurting? I remember one time uh, 
in England, I was probably, I was probably four years old. And, you know, I'm, I'm going from our apartment buildings, crossing the street. They, we call them tuck shops in England. They're candy stores. Okay, so I was walking across the tuck store to the tuck store. I had some money. I was on my little three-wheel trike. I was all proud of myself driving across. <laughs> I walk into the store and get whatever I get, and I come across, and I look across the road, and I start to drive out, and the, I can still see this to this day. I'm underneath a car, okay? So I get run over by a car, and the next thing I know, I'm, I'm in an ambulance, and, and uh, um, the ambulance attendant, he's, you know, he's hugging me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm just bawling my eyes out, you know? And, and he's just saying to me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I felt such comfort from that attendant. And when we walk through those times of hurt and disappointment and anguish and rage, that's what Jesus is doing. Are you okay? Are you okay? And he's putting our arms around us. We tend to look at all of that and, and we say, oh God, you know, get, get away. I, I can't come into your presence. I can't come into your presence not feeling this way. Jesus saying, it's okay. Come into my presence just the way you are. He's never angry with our feelings. Now, (laughs) he may not like some of the things that we do. (laughs) We don't like some of the things that we do. But he's never angry with our feelings. Matthew 27, 40 says, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. So they mocked him, they railed at him, they derided him, they scoffed at him. All of those things we have been through, all of us at some level or another, at some time in our life, we have felt the pain of that, that scoffing. You know, I, again, I remember my, my high school days. I was, uh, in grade nine, I was 4'11 and 89 pounds. And uh, I took a lot of tech shops. I'm not really sure why, but I did. Um, you know, I was a good academic student. But I used to wear these glasses that were tinted. All my glasses will tint brown. But in those days, they would never tint clear. They would tint with a green hue. And I remember being in shop class, automotive class. And for whatever reason, the teacher was out of the room, and one of the kids just turned to me and said, Ian, look at those green glasses. And then all the kids started picking on me. You know, and I felt so humiliated. I just wanted to run out of the class. So we've all been there, right? You've all gone through those types of, of situations. And God has experienced them, and he keeps saying to us, Come on up, come on up, come and sit in my lap. You ever wore braces and been laughed at? You know, maybe you had buck teeth or something. You know, whatever. You've all been there. Come on up. Sit in my lap. Tell me all about it. If we look at Isaiah 53, 2 through 6, it says there was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look. So Jesus was so average that if he walked by, you wouldn't even take note. 
It says he was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. So he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So how many of you are acquainted with grief? All of us are grieving now because of Pastor Pete, right? Mm -hmm. I just lost my father a couple of weeks ago. Many of us have suffered losses. And it's devastating to us. And God says, if you're grieving, I can feel that with you because I am very acquainted with grief. For the person that's lonely, the widow, the widower, the divorcee, he understands what it is to be alone, to feel abandoned, to feel that part of yourself that's kind of been torn away. And if we think of the prophetic words of Isaiah concerning Jesus, it says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so we can see uh, that those words about Christ really ring true to us when it comes to accepting painful losses and knowing who we can go to for comfort. But does he know the worst feeling of all of our infirmities? Like Dr. Simon said, when we can't even pray, right? When we feel abandoned or forsaken by God. How many of you, when you're going through those trials, you feel like God is a million miles away sometimes? Doesn't it feel that way? His commitment is always that he's right there. But in the Apostles' Creed, it says that he descended into hell. So when Christ was hanging on the cross, he cried out for help, and there was no answer that came back. And in his suffering, the psalmist foreshadowed the Messiah. So Jesus identified with that psalmist, and even when he quoted the first line, he was drawing attention to the entire psalm, including that theme of victory at the end. But to think that Jesus went to hell, and the things that we hear about that horrible place, means that he's entered into every one of the fears, terrors, anxious feelings that we might experience, our lowest moments of rejection, shame, humiliation, forsakenness and depression, amen? So when we start to feel isolated, we just have to remind ourselves, Jesus actually went down into the presence of the enemy's territory in hell, where the worst of the worst existed, and he felt that. So there is nothing that I can feel that he has not amen. already experienced. Amen. So God calls us to come to him boldly, okay? Exactly as we are, without guilt, without shame, without condemnation, or condemnation, because why he's never left us alone. As a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Romans 8, 26 tells us, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help what in our weaknesses. And the weaknesses are the infirmities that we've all, that we've been talking about uh, throughout the last several minutes. So he, he joins to help us in our weaknesses, because we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with unspoken groanings. So you want to think about that, people. You know, when you're, when you're just at that place and you can't pray and you don't know what to pray and you don't know how to bring what you're feeling to God, go into your prayer language and just let it run. And don't try to figure out things with your mind. Just let the Holy Spirit speak in and through you. Amen? point I wanted to make here. Oh, well, it'll come to me after. <laughs> so as Christians, we look at, <clears throat> at the cross and we say, Jesus bore our sins. Amen? You know what the sins are? The sins aren't the feelings. It's when we give in to the temptations. 
You know, we're feeling that anxiousness or whatever, and then we start to rail out at God. Or we're, you know, we're going through something at work and we come home and we lash out at our spouse or, or whatever it is, whatever the sin is. That's what Jesus paid the price for. But he could pay the price because he walked through the same life as we did. He took upon himself the entire gamut of our feelings, our infirmities, so that we could never, we would never have to bear them alone. Hebrews 4.15 once again says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Now what that looks like, I have no idea. I have no idea what it means to walk through a temptation and not sin like Jesus did on all fronts. Okay, But he did it. He did it on behalf of you and me so he could come alongside, put his arm around us, hop us up in, in his lap, whatever he needs to do. This is where I was going with it. <clears throat> you know, when, <clears throat> as Christians, when we get angry or depressed or whatever, and we think, oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to shove that down, I, I, I'm going to ignore that. You ever heard the term DID, disassociative, disassociative Identity Disorder? It's when people disassociate or separate, uh, you know, themselves from part of who they are. Trauma brings that about. You know, you just ignore things. You just drive them into into the subconscious. Christians, we do that all the time. You know, we all suffer from DID. Oh, anger, I can't feel that. Oh, depression, oh, I can't feel that. And so we disconnect from who we are. You know, God can't heal us when we do that. The only way he'll heal us in those areas that he can truly come alongside us is when we own them. When we admit, when we accept, when we embrace that that is a part of who we are. When we do that, it allows us by our will to bring Jesus into the situation. So oftentimes, you know, we think, well, why isn't Jesus interfering in here or interceding here or doing this or doing that? Oftentimes, it's because we have separated part of ourselves from ourselves, and we're not willing to bring it before him. So we're here to encourage you, doesn't matter what you're going through, when you're going through it, or how you're going through it, bring it to him. Hebrews 4.15 again, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but he has been tempted in every way just as we are and without sin. So this is the assurance, the solid ground that we have to come to him. You want God's healing? Allow him into your life. Allow him to walk through those areas. Allow him to bring the healing into your emotional areas that will definitely affect your physical areas. And you'll be amazed at the other areas of your life that it will affect. Amen. Dr. Tom, if you would come. In closing, look at a few keys for true relationships. Simple, but very important. The first is make sure you're in right relationship with God. So what does that mean? That means that you're spending time with him daily. What does it mean when you're in right relationship with your spouse or right relationship with your kids or your pastor or your boss? It means that everything is clean, 
Everything has been discussed. There's no hidden agendas. There's no distrust. There's no making assumptions. But everything is good between you, right? So make sure you're in right relationship with God. Get to know God more and more each day. Learn to hear what he's saying. Mm. Talk to him. Listen to him. He tells you things via his Holy Spirit and through reading and studying the Bible. So give him as much opportunity as possible day to day and keep a right relationship with God. Don't ignore him. Don't not spend time with him. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit, but include him. Make him a priority. Honor that time with him. Treasure it so that you have right relationship. Say right relationship. Right relationship. The second is get plugged in to a local church if you aren't. Take the dive and become a member. It won't kill you, I promise. Mm. So many people are afraid of commitment. Sign the paper and plug in someplace. God's committed to you. The least you can do is commit back, amen, via a local assembly. And then get busy, serve. We see that overhead every single Sunday morning where Dr. Tom says, we're so glad you're here. Now get up out of the pew and plug into a ministry. Mm. And it's because that's where the maturity comes. Mm. When you begin to serve in any capacity in any ministry. I don't care if you clean the church building. Then you begin to grow. Then you begin to get challenged. Then God begins to use you on a greater level. So the the time for sitting and just listening and just feeding off of the word that comes from the pulpit is over. It's time for you to get busy about your ministry. All of us are called to minister in one capacity or another. As soon as we know Jesus Christ, he's ready to use us. So get busy in your local church. Don't worry about time. Don't look at it as work. Look at it as your personal growth is about to start to launch. Amen. So plug in and get busy and start helping. The third is remind yourself that whatever you are going through, Jesus has already experienced it. Mm -hmm. You know, when we counsel Uh, It is always a blessing when somebody comes to me and they have struggled with something that I have struggled with because I can relate. I know I've got something for them and I know they know that I'm being genuine and I get it. Amen. If somebody says, you know what, I struggle with that and I had to work through a process, but God gave me the victory. He set me free. That's who I want to talk to, not to somebody who has no idea and they're just reading out of a book, right, trying to understand the dynamics of my problem. I want someone who's lived it. If you're going through a divorce, uh, if there's, you're struggling in your marriage, I want to talk to a minister who struggled in the marriage, who's been through a divorce, because they get it. God gets it. He gets all of it. There's nothing. He never holds our feelings against us. He's fully aware of all of them. So we need to invite him into our life. Just remind yourself Jesus has been through this. The fourth and last is that you are never alone. Even when you feel like it, you have got to, by faith, remind yourself, I am not in this by myself. God knows what I'm feeling, and he's here with me. He's walking beside me every day, minute by minute, moment by moment. And, you know, I think of folks who have lost a loved one, a child, a spouse, and that is how you live for quite a season is moment by moment, minute to minute, Mm -hmm. because anything else is overwhelming. To even think of Wednesday when it's Monday is just too much. All you can do is think of the next 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and what do I need to do, and God, I need you to help me do it, right? And that is a-okay because God says I'm in it moment to moment with Mm -hmm. you. He says, I know your every thought. I feel your infirmities. I've already paid the price for it. I can relate 
but I'm going to sustain you and get you through it. So moment by moment is okay with him. Amen. So your four keys are get in right relationship with God, get plugged in and serve in a local church, remind yourself Jesus has already been through what you're dealing with, and then remind yourself, remind yourself, remind yourself, you are not alone ever for one minute. Amen. So hopefully you have a, a different understanding now of, of Jesus' life and what he walked through in the, in the 33 years that he lived on this earth. And, and that now you can understand on a deeper level how he truly does identify with our daily lives. Amen? So we're going to close with our confession if you all want to stand with us. You can just repeat with me, Father... Father, it must have been painful for you. It must have been painful to for send you. your son to this earth. To send your son to this earth, knowing all that he would experience. Knowing all that he would experience. Thank you for making. Thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice of your son's life for me. Of your son's life for me. Jesus. Jesus. All that you experienced while on this earth. All that you experienced while you were on this earth is far beyond my comprehension. Is far beyond my comprehension. But I'm so grateful. But I'm so grateful that you went through all that you did. That you went through all that you did. So that you can identify. So that you can identify with all that I go through. With all that I go through. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of me. Thank you for living inside of for me. For giving me eternal life. For giving me eternal life. And for walking with me. And for walking with me. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Through my earthly life. Through my earthly life. I now know. I now know that you will never leave me. That you will never leave nor me. Nor forsake me. Nor forsake me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.